My wife, Alyssa, and I have two daughters, the oldest of which is about two and a half. Her name is Hope. And then she has a younger sister named Madeline, who's a little over a year old. One of our favorite things to do together as a family is when the weather permits to go out on walks together. Now, Hope, our two-year-old, especially loves being out of the stroller, not in it, and walking alongside or more often running alongside mom and dad. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not sure if this is a personality quirk of Hope's or if this is just how all two-year-olds are, but as much as that little girl loves walking and running, we cannot, for the life of us, get her to look where she's going, (laughs) okay? I cannot tell you the number of times that that little girl has run into a door jam or walked into a telephone pole or stumbled into something simply because she's turned back looking at the person behind her or else staring across the street. So if you were to join us on one of our family walks or if you were to come spend any time at our house, inevitably you would hear us say something like, Hopi girl, look where you're going, sweetie, right? Like we're trying to teach her that in order to walk and run without running into things, all it takes is that you look forward. But she's working on it. Now, you can imagine that my tone is pretty light when the danger is little, right? Hope, sweetie, watch where you're going. But if the danger were greater, you can imagine that my tone is going to take on severity and urgency. It's one thing for her to learn from walking into a telephone pole or into a wall. It's another thing entirely. If she is running for the street, you bet that my tone, my volume, is going to express the urgency that I feel. And it's not because I hate that little girl that I raise my voice and that my tone takes on severity. Far from it. It is actually because I love her deeply and I want her to hear me. I want her attention on me. I want her to stop, turn around, and come running back to me, her daddy, where she's safe. This morning, we're going to receive a message from the Lord and the tone is serious. Because the danger that he is warning us away from is severe. And God's love and compassion for each of those who believe in him, each of his little children, is so great that it compels Jesus in our passage to speak with severity and seriousness so that he might get our attention and cause us to turn away from destruction and back to him. So I would love for you in your Bibles to turn with me to Matthew 18. We're going to open up God's word that we might hear Jesus' voice speaking to us this morning. If you need to borrow a Bible from the seat in front of you, feel free to do so and join us on page 799. Matthew 18 is on 799 in the Bibles in the seats in front of you. While you're turning there, I just want to pause to say I'm not only glad that I'm here this morning, that I get to worship with you all, but we are really glad that you're here. Whether you are members at Calvary or regular attenders, maybe you're here because you're shopping for a new church home, or searching, I should say, not shopping. <laughs> Want to have the correct tone there too, right? Uh, maybe you're looking for a new church home, or maybe this is just your second Sunday here, and you're not sure why you allowed somebody to drag you here. In any case, we're glad you're here, because whether you know it or not, we all come because we need to hear Jesus' voice. And so it is good for us to be here. It's good for you to be here, because Jesus is going to speak to each one of us, myself included, you included, so we're glad you're here. Let's read what the Lord has for us in Matthew 18, verse 6. Jesus says, 
if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, and I want to pause there for a moment to just recognize that this is a continuation of last week's message on entering the kingdom of God. We'll come back to that in a moment, but I want to emphasize that what Jesus is saying is he's about to use the language of one of these little ones throughout this section and throughout the rest of the chapter of chapter 18 in Matthew. And when he says one of these little ones, he's talking about anyone who has believed in him. So if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, your translation may say to trip into sin or to sin, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. This is a heavy passage. Jesus' words here are severe. He uses severe language and his tone is serious because the things that he is trying to warn us away from and steer us away from are deadly serious. The danger is great. So great, in fact, that at the beginning of this passage, Jesus doesn't actually come right out with the consequence of ignoring his warning, of causing someone to stumble. Instead, he paints a picture to help us understand the gravity, the seriousness of his warning. He says it would be better for somebody to die a horrible death than to cause one of these little ones, someone believes in him, to stumble. That's what he's getting after when he says it would be better to have a large millstone hung around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, a millstone in Jesus' time was used to grind grain. It was an essential part of everyday life. So those who are listening to Jesus have a vivid picture in their minds as he's speaking of what this would entail. Jesus is referring not just to any millstone, but to a large millstone, like one pictured behind me. You can see the upper stone, the top stone, is turned around the bottom stone. That's how they grind the grain. And a large millstone was big enough, heavy enough, that they needed a beast of burden, like a mule, to turn it to grind the grain. So you see the pole sticking out of the stone. There would be some way to tether the mule or donkey or whatever animal they choose to this pole so that it would use its immense strength to turn the wheel. And so as Jesus says, it would be better to be drowned in the depths of the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. The image is, wow, normally it's around a donkey's neck, but in this instance, it would be around mine as I'm thrown in the depths of the sea. That would mean certain death as the sheer weight of the stone would drag that person beneath the waves to the bottom of the seabed. Yikes. Jesus says that is preferable to the consequence of causing one of these little ones to stumble into sin. That's why he then says, woe to the world because of stumbling blocks, but more specifically, woe to the individual through whom they come. Woe being a statement of displeasure or grief. 
displeasure or grief with the current set of circumstances and their inevitable consequence. So Jesus is saying that when somebody causes one of those who believe in him to stumble into sin, it causes Jesus extreme displeasure and grief. It is something that Jesus takes very seriously. So if we hear the tone of Jesus' voice this morning, the seriousness of this, I think it's worth us slowing down to consider what is the nature of the thing that he is trying to warn us away from. Now, a stumbling block first appears in the Bible in a law found in Leviticus 19.14. We're going to put it on the screen for you. The law says this, do not curse a deaf person or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God I am the Lord. So this is a very practical law, and what it has in mind is a blind person who is just walking along in their way, and somebody out of cruelty takes a stone and places it in his path so that as he's walking along and doesn't see the stone, he trips over it and falls and is potentially harmed significantly. God strictly forbids such unloving behavior, saying you must fear the Lord your God. Now here in Leviticus, this law is a literal law, right? A physical example, this is something you are not to do. Don't put a stumbling block in the way of a blind person who's walking. But throughout scripture, the idea of a stumbling block quickly takes on more nuance. It becomes not just a literal thing, but a metaphor, so that by the time we get to the New Testament, this is a rich metaphor about what it means to cause somebody to stumble. So if we consider how Jesus is using the word, he's got these connotations that are all relevant for the passage. Now I'm gonna tell you the words that Jesus is using, but I need to give you a disclaimer. I am not a Greek scholar, okay? So I'm going to say the words and I'm gonna say them really confidently. But if you are a Greek scholar and I'm mispronouncing them, then just please bear with me, okay? So the word that Jesus uses in our passage is skandalizo. It's a verb. It means to cause to stumble. It is the verb form of the noun scandalon, stumbling block, that occurs in verse 7. It's where we get the word scandal from, if it sounded familiar to you. And so because you can hear that word scandal, that actually helps us to get some of an idea of the connotation of these words as they're used in the New Testament. It can mean, yes, to cause somebody to trip into sin. That is a valid use of that word. It also has connotations and is used at times throughout the New Testament to say to cause offense. To cause offense, to cause somebody to be offended. Or we might say in our context that we have wounded somebody and they're hurt. It can also be used to say that we have deeply wounded somebody's conscience. Here's what I mean by that. That somebody encounters something that we say or do and they didn't see it coming. So it trips them up and causes harm in their walk with Jesus. So to trip into sin, to be offended or hurt, to have our conscience deeply wounded, literally to be scandalized by somebody's words or actions. So what does this look like? What does this have to do with Jesus' warning to us today? 
Now, our passage, as I mentioned, is a direct continuation of the message last week on entering and thriving in the kingdom of God. There we had Jesus tell us that we enter the kingdom by turning and becoming like a little child, hearing the call and simply coming. And then once we've come to Jesus, we continue hearing him talk to us and we receive each new call, each new command, and we simply obey. And so here Jesus is telling us that he's talking about that same relationship by saying anyone who causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, that is, those of us here who have trusted in Jesus, okay, he says that it is a woe to cause one of those to stumble. As they're listening to Jesus' voice, as they're obeying and listening for the next thing, they're getting closer and closer to Jesus. We often refer to this progressive obedience as our walk with the Lord. And so I'm one of these little ones. I believe in Jesus. And I'm walking with him. I'm listening to him. I'm obeying him. I'm getting progressively closer to Christ. And this is profoundly pleasing to Jesus. But then as I walk with Jesus, somebody scandalizes me offends me, wounds my conscience, and I trip over that metaphorical stumbling block. And it can result in harm in my walk with Jesus. That causes Jesus grief and extreme displeasure. Woe to the one through whom stumbling blocks come. Now, we listen to Jesus' warning, and naturally we want examples what exactly is he talking about? But Jesus doesn't give us examples here. Matthew does, however, provide us insight into the kind of heart condition that produces stumbling blocks in others' lives. So I want you to keep a finger or a bookmark with uh, uh, Matthew 18 and turn with me just a couple of pages back to Matthew 16. I want to see the root of all stumbling blocks Matthew 16, and in particular, I want you to look at verse 23. Notice what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus has just announced that he's gonna suffer and die, and Peter says, look, Jesus, that's not God's plan for you. He has better things than that. And Jesus turns around and says to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a scandalon, stumbling block to me. Why? Because you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That is the root of all stumbling blocks. Stumbling blocks come when my mind and my heart is not set on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's why Jesus says in this passage that stumbling blocks must come. We live in a fallen world that people's minds and hearts are not primarily set on God. They're primarily focused here on me and the things of this world. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we are not to have our gaze fixed on the things of this world. We are not to have our eyes locked on how I can gain pleasure or profit or power or to stoke up my pride. That is the things of this world. As believers in Jesus, our eyes are not to be fixed on those things, but on God and the things of Jesus, to walk with him. When we, like my daughter Hope, are looking in the wrong place, we pose danger to ourselves and to those around us. So let's consider some examples 
of how we might cause others in our lives to stumble into sin, how we might offend or hurt them, how we might deeply wound their conscience. One of these little ones, a believer in Jesus, attends your high school. And they know that you also are a believer in Jesus. And they're trying to walk with him and assuming you are too. And then they recognize that you are cursing and using coarse language and dressing immodestly. Because you care more about what people think about you than about what God thinks about you. And so we have placed a stumbling block in their path, one which they might trip over as well and begin to care more about what people think about them than about what God thinks about them. Your child, your children are walking with Jesus and their walk is going well. And out of nowhere, you announce to them that you're leaving or divorcing their mother. And not for biblical reasons, but because you have the things of man in mind, you're being selfish. Or else it comes out that you've been looking at pornography or cheating on your spouse. And in that case, we've placed a stumbling block in front of those children because they become deeply wounded and it makes their walk with Jesus difficult. Many are the children who have been wounded by the sins of their parents, the selfishness of their parents, and it has made it difficult for them to walk with Jesus. Why? Because as parents, we were meant to represent Jesus to them. We were meant to welcome them into the kingdom, to encourage them in obedience. And when we not only refuse to obey ourselves, but in our disobedience and selfishness, we profoundly hurt them, it makes it difficult for them to believe that Jesus has the best things in mind for them. And so we put a stumbling block in their way. You have coworkers that are also believers. And they're doing a great job at encouraging people to walk with Jesus, to know him, to cheer on other believers. And there's somebody in the office that likewise is a believer in Jesus. But we put a stumbling block in the way of one of them when we begin sharing a, a gossiping story, a slanderous view of that person, and we can trip them up to the point where they are despising another believer, which is clearly outside of God's will. A grandchild has trusted Jesus and is looking for godly examples to emulate, but they are wounded and trip over a stumbling block when they realize that you care more about their politics than about them following King Jesus faithfully. And finally, your home dynamic looks pretty normal. Healthy dynamics at home. You believe in Jesus and you come to church, but your love for athletic or academic or other worldly achievements has just kind of crowded out your love for Jesus you no longer really prioritize the community of faith or listening to Jesus as a family for that next thing he's calling you to. And so your children stumble and fall away in their walk with the Lord out of love for this world. Jesus is warning us this morning. He is warning us that we need to take care not to cause any of his little ones to stumble in their walk with him. 
We must live in reverent fear of God and love for others to avoid the severe consequences of causing one of his little ones to stumble in their walk, of being the source of the stumbling block. Now, you may have recognized that many of the ways that we cause other people to stumble, the root is actually issues in my own life, ways that I'm stumbling in my walk with Jesus. These are the things that are offensive to me because I know that I'm offending my Lord with my actions. They're the things that are wounding my conscience because I know that I am wounding my Savior in doing them. They're the things that as I just try to walk with Jesus and pray and be with him and hear from him, they're simply in my way because I know they're not what God desires for my life. And so Jesus transitions in verse eight and nine to begin instructing us on how to deal with stumbling blocks in my life. Because here's the thing. Sin is always harming and the effects of that harm are never contained in my own life. And so Jesus is warning us that we need to take care of the stumbling blocks in my life, the things causing me to sin in my life. Jesus warns us, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Listen to this. Better to enter life maimed or crippled or with one eye than to be thrown into the eternal fires of hell whole. Jesus is offering life and he's warning us away from destruction. Now, I have to say, in order to avoid confusion, that this passage is in no way teaching that we can lose our salvation. The simple message that Jim gave us last week that all we need to do to believe in Jesus, to trust in him, is to hear the call and respond that it's that simple, that still stands. Once I know Jesus, I don't have to do anything to fix myself up to come to him. And once I know him, there is nothing, not even my own sin, that can snatch me or any others of his little ones out of his hands. That is truth. And yet, the Bible also clearly teaches that believers in Jesus, those who have entered into relationship with him, cannot continue indefinitely in unrepentant, unconfessed, undealt with sin the Holy Spirit living within us simply won't allow it. And so if we refuse indefinitely to allow the Holy Spirit to prompt us to do the hard work of allowing him to cut out the things in my life causing me and others around me to stumble, that's actually a red flag, a warning that I may never have trusted in Jesus to begin with. And in that case, the dangers of hellfire are very real. But again, In his love for us, Jesus is trying to warn us away from that destruction. He's trying to warn us away from destruction and inviting us to life. So Jesus does not have in mind, by the way, a literal cutting off of the parts of our body, right? If I'm stumbling into sin, I'm not gonna actually cut off my hand or my foot or gouge out my eye because actually that doesn't change my heart. What Jesus does have in mind is allowing the Holy Spirit to begin the hard work, the process of doing a surgical work in my heart, of transforming my heart to rid me of the things that are stumbling block in my life, that are causing me to sin or be wounded in my walk with Jesus. He's inviting us by the Spirit 
to do the hard work of cutting out things that feel like such a part of me that it would be like losing a hand or a foot. That's how integral to my life it feels. He's inviting us to cut out the things in our life that feel like without them we would be less than or weakened to do the hard work that leaves us feeling vulnerable. And we often allow the Holy Spirit to begin the hard work of cutting out the things that cause us to stumble through confession. Confession to Jesus, but also to other little ones, other believers in Christ who can walk, can walk with us, can come around us in our walk. Do you hear Jesus' tone this morning? There's severity in it. There's seriousness because he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to stop us from running to destruction in the streets to stop and come back to him. He's trying to get our attention. He is speaking over us this morning. You may hear another verse, or sorry, another voice speaking to you. One that is saying, if I do this, if I allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do the hard work, if I confess to God and man, that's gonna kill me. It's gonna kill me somehow in my relationships in the church or in my family. It's gonna bring humility and hurt me. It's gonna create career difficulties. Let me tell you, that voice that is telling you that confession is gonna kill you, that voice does not have your best interest in mind. Better to enter life without a hand or foot or an eye than to be thrown in the fires of hell whole. Jesus is calling us to come back to him this morning. And the question is, will we listen to him? Now, as I encourage you to listen to Jesus' voice, to listen to the Spirit, I want to do it and encourage you and welcome you in Jesus' name and help you along in your obedience as somebody who has had to do the hard work myself. Let me rephrase that. As someone who has had to let the Holy Spirit do the hard work in me. When I came on staff in children's ministry here at Calvary Church in 2014, I was in the midst of a 12-year addiction to pornography. I was doing my best to walk with Jesus, but the stumbling block just kept tripping me up. And I was trying in my own power and my own strength to avoid it. I was trying to be stronger on my own. But whatever I did, I couldn't avoid that stumbling block. And you know, if you have faced any sort of addiction or abiding sin in your life, like I did, you know that that thing is not only causing you to stumble, but seriously injuring you and wounding you and making your walk with Jesus difficult. And you know that's not the way that God intended it. So I had resisted on my own strength. I had been trying to avoid the stumbling block, and I had resisted except for I hadn't been willing to let the Holy Spirit do the hard work of cutting the things causing me to stumble out of my life. Then in 2015, I went on a trip to Israel with Jim Samra and with several of you. And God in his absolute kindness and love for me spoke severely over me in a way that he never had before. His tone was sharp and serious. The fear of the Lord, the kind that I hope is coming over some of you this morning, came over me in a way that I had never experienced. Now for me and that Israel trip, I actually felt the hand of the Lord so heavy upon me that I thought, if I don't confess my sin, I'm gonna die. 
And so I decided to cut off my hand. I went to Jim Samra, my pastor, and also my boss in ministry at a church, and I told them everything. And the Lord spoke to me through Jim. As Jim reminded me of the seriousness of my sin, explaining to me that my sin had brought death into my life because the wages of sin is death. And again, sin always harms, and harm is never contained to just my life. So he said, I brought sin into my life and into children's ministry and into the lives of his own children because they were in Calvary Kids at the time. The tone of the Lord was serious with me. I was so concerned, and I was convinced I was going to lose my job. But then the tone changed, and Jim continued looking me in the eyes, and he said, but don't be afraid, because Jesus has forgiven you for all of your sins. The next morning was Sunday, and in the Sunday sermon in Israel, the Lord confirmed his forgiveness for me. And I felt like I hope my daughter Hope feels when she stops and runs back to me and I scoop her up in my arms, I felt so loved. I felt so loved by Jesus. And in his love, he set me free and removed the things in my life that had been causing me to stumble. And so that addiction that had been there for years, he completely freed me from. To say that I am incredibly thankful would be a profound understatement. What are you struggling with this morning? For some of you, it might be pornography like it was for me. For others of you, maybe the Spirit has brought something else to your mind that is just in the way of your walk with the Lord. Or some way that you have been causing somebody in your life to stumble because you've been focusing not on the things of the Lord but on the things of man. And if you've got that thing in mind this morning that the Spirit has been speaking to you about, My question to you is, do you want the freedom that God gave me this morning? And I want to tell you from experience, you absolutely do. You want the freedom and the healing and even the joy that comes from confessing something difficult and then allowing Jesus to meet you there and to affirm his love for you and his forgiveness and his healing. So in a moment... We're going to enter into a time of confession. Jesus has given us a warning this morning. He's calling to us, stop, turn back to me. And if there's something in your life that you need to deal with Jesus on, that you need to allow him to begin cutting out of your life, we want to invite you, as the band plays one song, to come down front and find a place on the steps and meet with Jesus there. Now, I recognize that asking you to come forward is asking you to do something that is incredibly vulnerable. But in my own experience, when I felt the hand of the Lord on me, drawing me to confess my sin, I needed a practical step of obedience right then. Because I knew if I didn't take a step of obedience right then, here's what was gonna happen. I was gonna lose my nerve and I was gonna numb myself to the Spirit's conviction. And so I needed a practical step of obedience. And what's more, when I took that step, that moment became for me a moment in my history that I can look back on, a concrete picture in my mind of when I chose Jesus over my hand. When I chose Jesus over looking like I had it all together. 
and the memory, not of me going to him as if I did something really great, but the memory of him meeting me there and his kindness and his compassion is one that I can always look back on and remember how profoundly he loves me. So if you're feeling that weight this morning, if you're feeling the Spirit's conviction, I pray that you will come forward and experience Jesus scooping you up in his arms. I pray that you'll come and experience healing and the kindness of the Savior who not only redeems us from our stumbling, but also uses all of our past sins to put the glory and mercy, glory of his mercy and grace on display. Let us pray and then we'll have time to come forward. Jesus, thank you for these words. Uh, Lord, as a parent, I know it is never fun to yell at our children. And Lord, as, as somebody who's had discipline in my own life from my own parents, Lord, it's not fun to be on the receiving end of discipline. And yet, Jesus, you loved us enough that you included these hard words in your gospel. That Jesus, you speak over us a warning, not because you hate us, not because you're angry, because your love for us is so deep and you want us to stop and come back to you that we might experience you speaking tenderly to us. And so Jesus, I just pray for as many people as are hearing your voice this morning, would you by your spirit give them boldness and conviction, God, that you really meant it when you said that we are to come before your throne with boldness and receive grace in our time of need. Jesus, you showed up when I came to you. And Lord, I know it's not because I'm someone special, Lord, except for that I'm special to you because you love all of your children. And so Lord, I pray that for anyone that comes forward this morning, that they would experience you showing them how special they are to you, that you would show up, that they would feel your nearness. And that God, in the feeling of your nearness, they would have your love affirmed to them and God, you would raise as many who have stumbled up that they can walk with you in joy. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.